0: Hello, and welcome to the R2P Podcast. I'm Running to Place's founder and artistic director, Joey Steenhagen. Take a moment to locate your nearest emergency exit, and please remember no flash photography during the podcast. And now, without any further ado, on with the show. First order of business is to introduce my lovely and talented co-host, dear friends, it's R2P's associate managing director and resident choreographer, it's the one and only Tucker Davis. Hey, Jerry. Yo, Tucker. What's going on? Not too much, man. Not too much. It's been snowy, and then it's warm, and then it's snowy. And then it's rainy. It's fall, spring. Oh, man. I know, but it means that we're getting closer to, like, real spring, and I feel like we'll be getting closer real to... Real
1: spring doesn't happen until June. We all know that.
0: And But we're going in the right direction.
1: This is true. Forward. Don't cry when it snows all weekend.
0: Don't cry for me, Argentina.
1: Never snows in Argentina. That's exactly my point. Let's move. All right. First up, as always,
0: is news and updates. All the latest and greatest of what's going on in the world of R2P. Yes. What are we doing? Well, I just want to give a shout out because I have to, because otherwise I'm going to get in huge trouble. I got a phone call last week. I was driving and I got a phone call that I answered completely hands-free, safe, legal, responsible. I'm
1: terrified right now. What
0: I got read the Riot Act by my lovely and talented sister, Amy, who is an
1: r2 patron oh, hey amy we see you we see you
0: sister amy my big little sister amy is an r2 patron and i just want to say thank you to my sister amy jen and
1: so now we have to thank everybody who donates at the one dollar a month level we first of all
0: <laughs> should not donate the one dollar a month level second of I'm all just trying to get you into more trouble so oh, well done thank you so much now she likes you more than me Um, but I want to thank you Amy for being an R2 patron for supporting running to places by being an R2
1: patron I want to thank Jack and Heidi for bringing us Joey and Amy. Oh, you know, what I just realized you didn't thank them I didn't my parents are also R2 patrons. We got to thank
0: everybody mom dad Thank you for being R two patrons and I want to thank everyone who's listening. Yes, I think they're listening You can see them right now. Wave Wave to them Yeah, she saw that she waved back exactly. Hi Jack um Yes, I want to thank everyone who is not directly related to me uh by blood <laughs> who has supported running to places by being RT patrons and all throughout the years. Amy, thank you. Amy, thank you. Amy, thank you. Okay, good. I'm done. I think I'm good for a while. Hey, Tucker, what else is coming up?
1: Uh, we have another installation at the very end of this month, March 28th and 30th of our Unplugged series where we take a look at musicals which for one reason or another we can't quite do on our own stage, but this month, do you know what we're doing, Joey? I don't know. Tell me. It's very exciting. Tell me, Hades, ex- Town. Hades we're gonna do Town. Hades Town. The musical. <gasps> oh, yeah.
0: the Andre de Shields vehicle. Mm-hmm. The retelling of the Orpheus and Euripides mm-hmm. story. Euripides? That's not right. No. That. Oh, that's the one about the the tailor.
1: Um, but any Euripides, I meant it. I was trying to get away from it. I saw it coming.
0: There was no escape. Hades Town, yes, the award-winning musical. We, still on Broadway. Still on Broadway, so nobody is, else is doing
1: nobody. it. Nobody. Um, but we can
0: we can do a read-through, we can do a listen-through, sing-through, and we can talk about it. Yep, we are.
1: So join us March 28th and 30th. That's the final Monday and Wednesday of the month. And we are going to be diving into that new Broadway hit show.
0: And that's R2B Unplugged.
1: Yep. So what else is going on, Joey?
0: Oh, well. We just restarted a program that we started in the fall and then had to pause on, which is uh, a whole series of programs we're doing in partnership with the Greater Ithaca Activity Center, more commonly known as GIAC.
1: GAC, a friend to the community here in Ithaca. So
0: much so. And so they run fabulous after-school programs all throughout the week. And I am so delighted that we are heading over there three days a week to work with four to six-year-olds, with second to fifth graders, with middle schoolers. And just doing a huge broad range of theater stuff. So, yeah, we've been working on Shakespeare. Tucker, I'll give you exactly one guess which play we started working uh,
1: on Romeo and Juliet. Oh my God. Which I hear is like really, really good material for fourth graders. Uh, here's the thing. I do. I love one of my favorite classes. You do Shakespeare.
0: I love doing Shakespeare with elementary school students and especially because I want to get them before the first experience they have with it is in like a boring academic setting. Shakespeare didn't write any of his plays to be done and studied academically. He was writing popcorn plays. Yeah, he
1: was, and he was pop culture back then, too.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, think about it. Like, his plays have, like, big battles and sword fights and dirty jokes and ghosts and witches and spells and, you know, comic misunderstandings and things. Like, he was writing... He was writing the pop culture of his it time.
1: I could make another list of things, of themes in his shows that is much darker than that, though, as well. Absolutely. And but deeper
0: yes. and more beautiful. I'm not saying he didn't do it with some of the greatest writing and poetry of all time. He was time.
1: very diverse. He but was like, yeah. He was writing
0: for everybody. He wasn't writing for academics to write Shakespeare papers. is
1: the people's person.
0: Absolutely. And so when I, when I do Shakespeare with uh, elementary school students, we're not focusing on the language, which can sometimes be off-putting and intimidating. We focus on the story. And the stories are incredibly accessible. So I love telling the stories campfire style. And then we get up and act them out. Uh, And I've never seen elementary school kids not get hooked on the stories of Shakespeare. And then when they get to studying Shakespeare in school, they're not afraid of it. They're like, oh, I know these. I like these stories. They're fun. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, that's what we're doing uh, at GIAC, keeping ourselves busy. But we're about to get even busier.
1: Ooh, I'm so excited.
0: Yeah. I mean, so after uh, a long delay, which, you know, we had to do for obvious reasons, we are getting ready to restart with rehearsing plays. Musicals, even.
1: Seussical? The musical? (laughs) The musical, yeah. Yes, we are. We are so excited. Um, April... The middle of April 19th, I think, is the start date that we start rehearsing. Um, And we're looking forward to putting on that show at the end of June, early July.
0: And so stay tuned for details on that. But we've got dozens of spectacular young people from all across the county and beyond. Yeah. Joining in for this show. And it's going to be a fabulous, festive,
1: family-friendly affair. So come out and see it. So stay tuned for more information on that. And if you're in the cast... We look forward to starting doing a show. We're going to do a show. We're going to see you in real life in person. We're going we to sing wait. songs and we're going to do dances. <laughs> we're going to act. It's going to be just like doing theater. We're going to act like an elephant. And, and, a, ca- and a cat. And a cat. And a little who. Oh, a whole bunch of them. A lot of who's. A Grinch really? even. Yeah. Yeah. it'll so, be great. Yes. Musical. The musical. Stay tuned. What else?
0: Listener questions. It is time. Because you know, Tucker.
1: I love that song. No, I made it up. I was, just you right made that now. up? Yep,
0: just, just right now. Wow. You must have studied theater in your day. Four listener questions. Um, Oh, F-O-R, not F-O-U-R.
1: No, we only have one listener
0: question. Oh, I thought you were warning us, like, on a golf course. Four
1: listener questions. Four. That's F-O-R-E. F-O-R-E. That's a different one. Yeah, no. Just... Here we go. Every
0: episode, we answer questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question you want answered on the podcast, you can email it to podcast at runningtoplaces.org or, better yet, record a voice memo on your phone and email it to podcast at runningtoplaces.org and maybe we will hear you on a future episode. So for this listener question, we're not specifically uh, tagging it to one asker because this is the question...
1: Everybody asks this. Everybody asks this
0: question. It is the most frequently asked question we get, which is. Why don't you do this show? Yep. Blurp. (laughs) Fill in the blank. Hey, you know what R2P should do? We should do blurp. Blurp. I don't know why they always say blurp, but they do.
1: They do. I haven't read it myself, but I think it's like just beyond us. Blurp the musical. I think it's a TikTok thing. Uh, That's probably what it is. You're not even young enough to say the word TikTok, I think.
0: Isn't it? it's the Jonathan Larson musical? Tick tick boom, yes. Oh oh,
1: oh, oh, oh oh, I was close. I was close.
0: So people are always asking us, why don't we do this show? Why don't we do that show? And so I thought it'd be useful to talk about why we do or don't do the
1: shows that we do or don't do. It's so complicated.
0: It is. So I mean, where do we start? What are some of the first things that we think about? What are some of our priorities when we're deciding what is a good RTP show to do?
1: There are so many shows we want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard because we never know. It's not like a normal theater company where you can audition every actor in New York city. Right. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. Los Angeles or Ithaca even, you yeah. know, it's, we decide the shows and then the students show up. So a lot of times deciding a show is like taking a stab in the dark at how many kids are going to show up, yep. who those kids are, what age they are, how much experience they have in theater. So a lot of, times, I find it so terrifying. Yeah. You can answer this question better, Jerry.
0: Well, I, I know that some of the things that we think about within that uncertainty that you're describing, does it have meaningful roles for girls? Because R2P, like most theater, especially for young people, um, tends to be two or three to one girls to boys. At least. And so there needs to be meaningful stuff for them to do there need to be uh, thoughtfully respectfully written characters that have interesting stories to tell
1: you i think like when we're yeah when we're looking at that we say is this written in a way that we stand by or can we direct this in a way where we comment yes on how it's written
0: right because our goal is not to only ever present pieces of theater where every character acts in a way that we would want to be seen as a role model for our community and our kids. Honestly, that's boring. That's that's, not
1: how... Entertainment is written. Right. Theater has to have
0: conflict. That's the source of drama. And so sometimes that means there is a villain, define it how you will, uh, but an antagonist that the characters have to work against or who ends up learning a lesson or whatever it is. But the fact is, it doesn't have to be sanitized in order to be worthwhile. Um, But I think to your point about it needs to be something that we can stand behind. And so there are often consequences for bad behavior. You know, so just to use my favorite example, let's just say Romeo and Juliet.
1: Mm, Here we go again. (laughs) But it's
0: it's an easy one to point to because the fact is that it is not a, a story that glorifies violence. It is a story about the horrible consequences of violence. When people choose violence over, you know, other ways of resolving their conflicts, terrible things happen. Um, and so that's something we can get behind. You know, when we did rent, rent is a challenging piece. Rent is not something that is made for every young audience, perhaps. I like
1: literally could not believe we were doing rent the entire time we were doing rent.
0: Yeah. But it it has important things to talk about, you know, like rent addresses uh, drug use and abuse and it talks deeply about the dire consequences um, that, that people can find themselves falling into if, if, if they get caught in that. Um, so again, it's about consequences of those those things that we can stand behind and have a discussion about with our ensemble and ultimately with our audience, with our community about these things. You know, Running to places set out from the very beginning to do shows that would be challenging sometimes. You know, of course, we love doing shows that are Easy breezy for any audience of any age to come and see and enjoy. But so those are some of the factors that we consider. You know, of course, then we think about, hey, is this a show that people are going to want to see? Because that matters, you know, and in some ways to be brutally honest, it matters slightly less now that tickets are free to all of our shows. What? It's true. We announced that at the end of last year, that tickets are free to all of our shows from now on. So, you know, having a show that's going to sell a lot of tickets is less of a factor now, but we still want it's it to do. Yeah. We people still want, want
1: people to want to come to the theater for enjoyment and merriment. Absolutely.
0: You know, we also think about is a show going to provide many opportunities. Um, you know, in the past, we, We've picked shows that can accommodate huge casts. We've had casts of 50, 60 students on stage all at once because we take every kid who shows up. And that sometimes means that we have to pick shows that have huge casts. So, you know, we talked with Carl Gregory a few weeks ago and he talked a lot about his one man shows. We're not likely to do a one man show, one person no. show, because we need to find more opportunities for more Could
1: people. So two tickets. It's true. To their guardians. <laughs>
0: yes, indeed. Another factor that's really important to us is authenticity in terms of casting, in terms of the stories that we're telling. Um, so, for example, when we did R2P Unplugged recently and we uh, did West Side Story is that. West Side Story is undeniably one of the greatest musicals in the Broadway canon.
1: And if you have not seen the movie, it is now on, I think it's on HBO plus and and Disney Disney. plus. And so like, see it. It's really good.
0: And the fact is it isn't a show that we are able to do authentically and in a way that we can stand behind.
1: We're just, we're not, we're not going to do West side story because we don't have, we're not putting white kids in Puerto Rican parts.
0: Right. We're just not. Right. And so it's important to us to be able to authentically tell a wide variety of stories and to tell those stories in an authentic way. And so rather than kind of go about it backwards and do the wrong show for who we have in our cast, we're working to improve our outreach and our recruitment, um, and making sure that it is clear that theater is something for everyone. And every person has a place in running to places and, we look forward to a day when we can tell any story authentically and respectfully and joyfully uh, as a community together.
1: But one thing we've never done, or we never do, or we never will do, is plan a season or a show around the students that we are that we think we have. That is true. Um, nothing is ever precast. In fact, I'd say even if I feel like in my secret little brain, it's very little, it's tiny little brain way back here even if i think oh i know who's gonna get that role i am wrong so often
0: yeah it's it's in our best interest to not lock into any pre-casting preconceived notion ideas and it's important to have some sense that a show is castable um but that's in the broad sense not in terms of who is because with a youth theater company honestly one of my favorite parts is that year after year when we hold auditions we have moments every single time where we go, oh, oh, she could not do that a year ago. You know, if we were casting things based on what we knew from last time, we would miss out on what the kids are able to do this time. And they surprise us every single time. So pre-casting would actually be a detriment to the work that we're doing and the quality of our shows, in addition to the unbelievably unfair disservice we'd be doing to the students that we work with.
1: Right, and not opening any doors for anybody who traditionally is underrepresented in theater either. Yeah. Um, like, And I think that is sort of one of the most difficult parts about putting together a season, is doing that but being a community theater. Right. Because I think a lot of community theaters love you all out there, but I think they do have a better idea of who might be playing what roles and sort of develop a season around their cast of players, right? Or like the way old um, repertory theaters were. Yes,
0: doing. and there ain't nothing wrong with that, no. you know. But we have a different mission than those theaters. And so, for example, um, if we do, uh, if we were to do the same show twice in a row, you know, two seasons in a row, which is something that theaters, you know, do all the time, where yep. you know they'll do their annual summer rendition of you know whatever it is that. Is perfectly fine if you're a grown up and you understand how those things work. But with ours, we want to be serving all of the kids. We want to give everyone good experiences. And so we don't want to ever be in a situation where someone is shut out of a role because the other person, you know, that is their role. They call dibs on it and they've got it for the next five years. And similarly, it would be just as bad if we said, hey, that role that you were really fantastic in, you can't have that role again, um, even though you were doing a really great job in it. You know, it's just, it's just not what we do.
1: I like to take the scripts that we're considering and just toss them around the room, just turn off my lights, toss them around the room, turn off the lights and whichever one we trip over. Yeah. That, and you know, and that's a good way. Yeah. Like you, you
0: take a handful of darts. Yep. Or since they're on the ground, you take some jarts. Some,
1: some, is that a lawn dart? Yeah. Why is it a jart? Where does the J come from?
0: I think the the ja comes from like injury, like injury darts, and they shortened
1: it to jarts. Just better run. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's from. (laughs) Joey, we're going to switch gears now that we've given that riveting explanation of how we choose our seasons. So good. And we are going to take a peek behind the curtain. You get a backstage pass to find out what the rest
0: of the audience never knew. This time, we're going to talk about that time that R2P became free for everybody. Ooh, this was before I meme. Just to just to dial up the Wayback Machine and take it back to the beginning, Run Into Places started as a completely free offering. That was always the intent. That was always the idea behind it to make it accessible to everybody. And then, and
1: how were you planning on paying for productions? Had, we had no plan. Okay.
0: We, I mean, Truly, sincerely, I mean this. We were like, this is what we want to do. This is how we want to do it. We will figure out the rest. We just trust that it'll work. And so we operated that way uh, for the first couple of years. And then, of course, as we went along and were a real business with bills to pay and staff to pay and production royalties and things, uh, the pressure for income naturally increased. And so we experimented with different models where it was like suggested donation and- uh, like- for
1: the participants, yeah, okay,
0: yeah, where it was not mandatory, but we were like, hey, if you can kick in some money, that'd be great. We and encourage listen, people. We still
1: take donations from families whose children enjoy. Running to Places. And from people who have nothing to do with productions of Running to Places, but just support it. You're all welcome to write
0: checks. It's true. So we experimented with those different models, and we eventually settled on kind of a tuition model that had built-in scholarshipping. The scholarshipping process was like, hey, if you need a 100% scholarship, just say so, and it is instantly granted. There was no application form. There was no review process. There was no questions asked. It was just, oh, you need... Any amount of scholarship, done. Um, Because this next part honestly pains me to say, I really, really don't like the fact that this was ever true. Tucker, do you know that before R2P became free, tuition wound up being up to $500 per participant show per show. So just the rich kids could do it. That's certainly what the perception was, even though scholarshiping was that simple, that easy and that complete, right? There was still a barrier to entry. There was still, it's, it was not a level playing field because a lot of money. It was a lot of money. And I mean,
1: but it's also not when you think about like what sports cost and other youth like it, baffles me that such a quality program like Running to Places exists for free in this community, and not every child in the world is doing it.
0: <laughs> I would love that. I would love for every child to I mean, but I'm a theater geek, so. Yeah. But the fact is, uh, even if anyone were to consider $500 reasonable for the value that they got for it, it was not a level playing field. And the experience for a student who knew that their parents could just write a check was not the same as the kid who could have the same access as long as their parents sent an email saying, hey, we need a scholarship for this. And especially by the time you're a teenager, that gets old. It gets stigmatizing and it it turns students off from taking those opportunities in the first place. And so we rewrote our budget from square one, every line of it, with a new priority where we said, well, taking payment for students to participate is just simply not an option. It was not going to be uh, acceptable. It was not compatible with our principles. Um, it had sort of, you know, crept up like uh, like the, the proverbial pot of boiling water that happens slowly until it's suddenly an intolerable situation. And so we changed it all at once.
1: So then what happened immediately following free tuition? What were the immediate changes you saw in the company?
0: Well, you know, so... Going through the budget, we simplified a lot of things. We reduced a lot of expenses because we were spending, honestly, too much money on things like scenery. You know, I always thought if someone walks out of one of our plays and thinks, boy, that was a really fantastic set. If that's the first impression they have, then we've all failed at every level. An organization's budget is its priorities in action. And if we were putting our money on scenery and not on accessibility for the kids, our priorities were wrong. Right. So we had to do a course correction. And so the next thing that we saw happen was an immediate massive increase in participation.
1: Good. Cause that's what you wanted, I'm sure as well.
0: That was the entire idea. Yeah. And we specifically had kids walk into audition who we had never seen before. And we'd say, oh, hey, welcome. We're so glad to see you here for the first time. What, what brought you here today? And we had students tell us to our face in the audition room, oh, I couldn't afford it before. You know, my family said that we couldn't. And, and I said, but did you know that there were scholarships and you could? And they said, yeah, no. And long story short was it being free made the difference. And we saw roughly 30% increases in participation every single year until wow. the pandemic stopped it, of course. Yeah. Um, and so we know we're going to have some rebuilding to do and, and, and more outreach to do more than ever. Um, but knowing that we can invite students in, with with nothing, with, there, there's no asterisk. It's not like it's free, but it's free after the scholarship kicks in or whatever. It's just no, no. It's just plain it's just free. free. And then we feel like that the bookend that needed to get uh, completed, you know, the loop we needed to close, which we finally did this past year, was eliminating the cost of attending our shows because Yay. the whole idea of making participation free was to tear down the barriers and make it accessible so every person would know that they had the opportunity if they wanted to, to participate, that cost wasn't going to be a barrier. But then we realized that there were students who were eligible to participate, but theater had never been a part of their lives because the cost of attending theater made it prohibitive for their family. And so theater wasn't part of their lives. They didn't go see it all the time. I I consider myself a very lucky, privileged person. My parents took me to see community theater growing up in New Jersey all the time. And so it was part of my life. When I was old enough to be in theater, I was like, yeah, that's something I love doing. It's something that's already been part of my life. So that is why we found it really important to be uh, a theater that is a community theater for the entire community and making tickets free meant that kids could build a lifelong habit of participating in theater as audience members. And then if they want to later on as participants themselves on stage, and then therefore inspire the next generation when they see themselves on stage.
1: Also, this is a little off topic, but side note, you don't have to be a performer. If you're a student and you're interested in participating in running to places either we have lots of opportunities behind the scenes and helping in making the reality of a production come true um so there really is a spot for you or a child you know at r2p close the curtain there's a draft in here (laughs) well it's time for intermission and don't forget to stick around after
0: intermission we'll be chatting with a theater professional career dancer who has appeared in national tours off Broadway is a phenomenal teacher and choreographer and has contributed so much to R2P. Tucker, do you know who it is? No it's you me Tucker Davis <gasps> <laughs> but we'll get to that later. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody take five. Thank you five. Thank you five Thank
1: you five, five. Thanks five. Awesome.
0: Remember that this show, like participation for the kids and tickets to our shows for everyone, like we just said, is totally free. This is possible only with the support of our R2 patrons, who for as little as five bucks a month get access to a whole host of thank yous, including the extended two act version of this podcast, although we are still making it available to everyone for now. You will also receive the full heart that comes from making theater accessible to everyone in our community. You can become an R2 patron today by visiting runningtoplaces.org slash join. That's runningtoplaces.org slash join. We're sponsored this week and every week of 2022 by our friends at TTC, a.k.a. Tompkins Trust Company.
1: So I know that we both trust Tompkins Trust Company with our own money, and they are great banking institution and also big providers of funds for artistic endeavors for locals. So please support them the way they support all of us.
0: If you have any opportunity, when you walk into a branch of Tompkins trust company and there's convenient locations all throughout our community. Um, but if you find somebody and say, Hey, just want to just want to say, thanks for supporting running to places running to places sent me do it. We heard you get shouted out on the podcast and we appreciate what you do for the students, the young people and everyone in this community, Tom, I hope you're writing this down. Cause this is verbatim. What I want you to say. learn
1: your lines.
0: I want you to, to, to saunter up to Mr. Greg Hartz, president of Tompkins trust company and a really nice person and say, Mr. Hartz, thank you on behalf of all of us, the listeners of the running to places podcast for supporting. Running to Places, and the R2P Podcast. We thank you, Mr. Greg Hartz, and everyone at Tompkins Trust Company. We thank all of you. And then I want you to bow grandly, and smile sweetly, and then uh, shuffle off to Buffalo, over to the teller, and then I want you to repeat that entire speech to just look at the name tag the just teller has, their name is. and repeat that entire speech to them. So they know that we appreciate them. Every single Tompkins Trust Company employee, please and thank you. So thank you, Tompkins Trust Company, for supporting the RTP podcast and supporting us all throughout the years. And we'll see you at the bank. And we're back. You know, Tucker Davis. Heyo. Theater is an ensemble art, and it takes a lot of people coming together to make
1: it happen. That's what they say.
0: Now it's time to chat with someone who loves theater like we do, so much like you and I, one of us more than others. It's time to run lines with Me, Tucker Davis. It's me. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Tucker. That was a good dance break. Oh, I wish you could have seen it. People. It was really good. Yep. I think the folks need to get to know you a little bit better. So mm. we're interviewing you today. Okay.
1: What do you want to know? And what do you want? To, what are we talking about?
0: Well, so Tucker, you hold the title currently of associate managing director and resident choreographer for running to places theater company,
1: which means that we just do everything. That's pretty much what it means
0: <laughs> in nonprofit life. We all do a little bit of everything or more likely a lot of everything. Yeah. And so uh, what are some of the things that, that you do and have done with running to Places, as if I didn't know?
1: My first show was... Crazy For You. That's the one. I was thinking of the title, Crazy For You. I've done... I don't know. I, I've, I would like to sit and think about what shows I've done, but it would just take forever. But that was 2016 season.
0: It was a long yeah. time ago.
1: And I've done one... Show at least almost every season, I think. Yeah. Since I mean, then. For me, highlights include Rent. Rent. It's beautiful work. Um, Footloose. Oh, Footloose was a lot of fun. That show also was really hard. Why was it hard? I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, I know
0: one reason why. That was the show that we did in August in three weeks of rehearsal and then a week of
1: tech. Oh, that was why. That's the reason why. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a lot why. of show that we did in a very short period that one, of time. For some reason, like there's I have solid memories of it, but it also blazed by like quickly. I remember being in the high school um, and I remember choreographing a dance for Jasper. And He was very excited that he had a dancing role.
0: Yes, Jasper Fearon, who audiences may have seen as Joseph in Joseph and the Amazing Dreamcoat,
1: Prince Eric in, in the Little
0: Mermaid, so good doing that little so dance cute in that little boat. Pippin in what's that? What was that musical called? Pippin, 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 and Pippin. He had magic to do just for us, and he did it. And in Footloose, and and Jasper, I don't think I would be uh, telling tales at uh, a school. To say that he would never pretend to be the greatest dancer in the world. He would never claim to be the no, greatest no, no. dancer that's ever been.
1: No, quite opposite. He likes to make fun of himself for being a bad dancer, which he is not. He
0: is not at all.
1: No, he moves very well.
0: Yeah. But in Footloose, he had a whole number that was about him learning to
1: dance. And then dancing well.
0: Yes. Which he did to great comic effect as he was learning.
1: Yeah. That and was a really fun. That was one of my favorite numbers to stage, I think, actually now you. why is that. that uh just because of the energy of everybody um jasper at the time was like a little uh r2p internal pop star um so everybody was like just always in a good mood when we were choreographing that and he was just really 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 funny in that show
0: yeah i mean i think one of the things we certainly try to encourage and run into places is is the fact that no experience is necessary you don't have to be this good in order to join you can be anything and we'll teach you the Mm -hmm. rest and we'll celebrate what you've got Mm -hmm. and i really loved watching how you embraced exactly where the kids were at in in a show that is all about dancing it is high level dancing and, and there was a lot of high level stuff and then knowing that you were working with a group of uh of performers who did not all come from twenty year professional dancing backgrounds. No, and most of our performers don't. Absolutely.
1: And I think that's wonderful.
0: Um but, but working with with what you had and yes anding the heck out of it into a phenomenal number and a phenomenal show.
1: Yeah. I mean so another standout for me would be Newsies, mm. uh, which I loved doing and and I thought that was a really great show. And that's another one where it's like when you think of dance musicals like that is one where you're like oh, you have to have a gazillion boys and they have to be all brilliant dancers. Well, guess what? You don't need either of those things. We um, we had, we certainly had a group of really great dancers that performed in the show, and then we taught a lot of people how to dance and gave them choreography that helped tell the story and move it along without needing you to have 20 years of ballet training.
0: Right. And it's that yes-anding spirit that, that I, I love because you you don't yes and kind of down to where they think they are out of kind of you know fear and insecurity you raise a bar and then give them the tools to more like yes
1: and we should get to work
0: yeah and and you do and they do yeah i mean is that how how you grew up is that how you were raised how did what is what is your history with it so
1: i started dancing late um what does that mean Late three. (laughs) No, I'm joking. Um, I did. I mean, I took some community classes when I was young. um, And I was in a performing troupe uh, until fourth grade. Um, And then I wanted to quit and try some sports. And so I tried some of those things and they weren't as good. So I came back to dance, really, when I was um, in high school. So I was like 14, 15 years old.
0: So you didn't get serious about it until then.
1: Yeah, Um, which is kind of considered... Late sometimes, even though I know plenty of professionals that started even later than that. Um But later than the a
0: lot of the students that you work with at running to places. Yeah,
1: you know, some of them come in their senior year and they're like, I've always wanted to do a musical and I want to learn how to dance. Right. So we do. Um but so I felt like I was always and especially because, you know, growing up as a boy in a activity that has more young women in it, um you get thrown into things that are above your head all ah. the time, so I sort of learned that way. And then I, and then once I started taking more classes, I found out I was really good at dancing, and then I picked it up really easily. So I was getting thrown into these classes with people who had the vocabulary, both um, actual vocabulary and physical vocabulary that I just hadn't developed yet. So I think I learned in a place of crash course.
0: Was it was that a scary experience for you? I loved it. Really? Yeah,
1: I really loved it because because I. I just always felt like I was always room to grow. Like I, there was, I was never done learning. And I think that was an awesome thing. And I actually took that into my career too, um, because I continued to learn throughout my whole entire career. And I remember I went through a really horrific knee injury when I was 25 and decided that I wanted to come back and go back to my roots and just become a ballet dancer. And I did, I had a knee injury and I came back and decided that I was just going to concentrate on dancing Uh, ballet and i ended up having a really beautiful ballet career while also having a musical theater dancing career as well
0: i want to hear about what happened in between so you were a high schooler who was discovering that you liked it and had a knack for it
1: loved it and so before
0: you went on to have a professional career i
1: went to an audition in san francisco how old were you um i was 17 okay um and i got a job for disneyland in japan
0: like a paid professional
1: gig like a gig like Right out. I got the job at the audition because I watched an orientation video. I'm just remembering this now about what life in Japan as an American performer is like. And so I remember I and so I, I must on some level, I don't know at what level I got that, but I had lied to them and told them that I was already at high school and that I had graduated. Ends up. You can't take a job in Japan when you haven't graduated high school yet. And So they were mad. They were they were a little mad and so you didn't get to go. I didn't go I didn't go and they said, uh, you know Come back and audition call us for in a us. Year. Yeah, um, and I didn't I then uh, Took pretty much the same Trip down a couple months later and got a job with a cruise mm-hmm. line So I started dancing on a cruise line um, after I had done an apprenticeship with uh, a couple of companies uh, local in Sacramento, California um and so started uh my career 18 dancing on a cruise ship and it was a blast and then took all the money that i saved from that which was not a lot (laughs) but it to me it seemed like a lot and i came home and i think i was home for two weeks and packed my bags and moved to new york city i'd never been in new york city before literally had one bag pair of tap shoes yep like star to be just got off of the bus. It was an NYC. airplane. YC. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't know anything except that we lived in Astoria. That's like literally the only thing I knew about New York City. And
0: did you have a plan? Nope. You were like, I'm gonna be a dancer. I'll mm-hmm. audition and yep. then I'll be have a career. Yep. How did it did it work like yeah, that? Yeah, it did. It worked like that. Get
1: out. No, it did. Like I got I mean, I got a I got a survival job right away. Um I waited tables, but um I wasn't at that job for A few months before I got my first opportunity to go out on the road with, I actually went to an audition for My Fair Lady Oh, and I got cast in the National Tour of Cats. Just so happened to have the same associate choreographer. Wow.
0: Yeah. And so what did
1: you do in Cats? So, well, I was at the audition for My Fair Lady, which is like not the show I'm supposed to do. Like I know that now, right? Like I probably (laughs) could. It's not a famously big dance show. No. You know, and I do do other things, but like, really, you're going to get the most out of me out of out of your money for me if you make me dance. Right? right. And so I was like, they were at this audition. They were like, do you do turns in second? And I was like, well, sure. I You know, I had just gotten done with apprenticeship at a ballet company. I'm, I'll turn all day for you. Do you tumble? Well, yeah, I do, actually. Let me... And I was like, in my head, I was like, I don't really know the show, My Fair Lady, but I feel like I'm auditioning for something else. And it ends up I was. <laughs> do you tumble?
0: Do you rumple tease? <laughs> do you rum tum 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 tum
1: No, so then, yeah, and I was uh, 19, 20, I think, um, when I got the call and I went out and joined. Uh, I was already away from New York City. I was doing a production of um anything goes Mm -hmm. and got the call and I actually ended up leaving that contract a week early to go and do cats and so asked for that from my producer at the other show and everybody was happy to watch me go into something bigger
0: and so in cats what did you do did you play one specific role the whole time no I was a swing what does a swing mean
1: And I think people actually do know what swings are now because it was such a big deal. Oh, Um, recently
0: with with Hugh Jackman on the Music Man.
1: Yeah, Um, but a swing basically sits around and waits for people to get sick, uh, get injured. (laughs) That sounds so ominous. Sit Um, around and wait. Just wait for horrible things to happen to other people. But like really, um, you know, you're just waiting. You're there in case, right? So you are a cover that can cover multiple roles. So I covered. Um, seven roles and ending up. I think I was contracted to cover five at first, but then I ended up covering uh, some additional roles. I went on for a couple of roles in a mo- like in a moment's notice that I had never even rehearsed ever in my how, life. Uh,
0: how does that happen? What what do you uh, do in that moment? You like when,
1: when like put us into that into
0: that scene. Like where were you when you got? So that you're call? usually
1: sitting in the audience watching the show, and you know the show so well that you can tell. Like you something can is see different. is something either someone didn't make their entrance or somebody is changing something and you know, the show I'm telling you, you know, it like, like better than, you know, anyone. So, and we used to, we used to practice this too. So they, when you get to a new city, they'd make you sit in the back of the audience. They'd make you run all the way to your dressing room. So you'd have to run out of the back of the house. You do a swing drill. Go. Yep. Absolutely. Go all the way through, put on as much makeup as you possibly can, get completely ready. Um, and they time you and they want you to do it in under seven minutes. Whoa. To be able to get onto the stage.
0: And and so, so you he- literally
1: have people putting on your clothes, you have people painting your face with you. You're usually painting your own face as well, while somebody else is putting a wig cap on you, you have a sound person there putting a the mic on you, and you want to get it all done. In seven minutes and and I, I mean there were times where I got it done in under seven minutes because there was like Mustafali's is down we have <laughs> Mustafali's down. like i gone on with full human face and just a couple of whiskers <laughs> and then what happens then is that when you come off stage the um the hair and makeup people are there to sort of build you as the show goes on so you get time to sort of put on the right costume or you know Uh, Get a little bit more makeup on or, you know, yeah, sometimes they throw you on if it was the middle of the jellico ball, they throw you on without a mic because you don't really need one for for that because it's mostly a ballet. And then during intermission, you would usually then revamp yourself to get ready. And
0: so you're getting ready to go on like at what point are they telling you, oh. This is the role, by the way, that you're going on or you're just getting shoved on stage, you know, figure out when someone doesn't say something.
1: Um, You usually know. So I actually had so I covered so many roles that they made me a costume called the Spike costume. So I could be thrown into my Spike and then go into almost any other role. There was a couple roles I wasn't allowed to do if I was Spike, like I couldn't do Mustafelis if I was Spike, but I could do Tumba Brutus. I could do Alonzo Pounceable. I could do all these roles just as this basic cat Spike. Um, and then also there's like a Jellico fan club out there. They got a hold of this. And so at one point when I was on tour, there was a spike fan club, no. like forum online where I like received gifts of like pictures where it was like accurate makeup and everything. And I had my own makeup plot, but like Whoa. nobody would ever see. And these
0: mega fans studied it. These mega it fans saw it. They and knew they it.
1: asked me one time outside the theater, like, what is that? What character are you? We don't recognize the makeup. I'm like, well, actually, you know, I explained it one time and then it was like, on the internet at the Jellicoe forum.
0: I mean, that must have been the most coveted piece of information for these mega fans to know something like yes,
1: like Miss Jellico, who was like I think she, I feel like she might have started, or she was like the keeper of the realm. Yeah. Um, and they feels like a speakeasy. got married at one of our shows in what? Vancouver. What? Yeah, like in the lobby or something like before the show. Because they were so. They so- were just. I mean, they saw us. They followed us on tour. They were. They, they loved the show.
0: So how did you go from your professional career to where you are now, where you're here in Ithaca?
1: Well, came to Ithaca to go to Cornell, like a lot of people do. And I, uh, I've taught or choreographed at lots of places. Cornell included, uh, Ithaca college, uh, all the dance studios. I currently still teach with Ithaca ballet and help out with their productions. Um, and I actually, can I plug myself? Please do. I have my, uh, a new ballet that uh, premiered last month at the hangar theater with Ithaca Ballet is getting a second run. um, And it's headlighting with snow white at the end of April at the state theater. Um, So, and that's called ellipsis. Um, So I, yeah, I just started choreographing shows, Mostly here. When I moved here, I became kind of more of a choreographer.
0: I want to talk about that. I just just to follow up on your plug for a moment. Yeah, because it's really special and unusual. Because you know, in in musical theater world, it's a lot more common that the choreography for a show is original to that production, and and you know, no production looks like any other production typically. But in ballet world, a lot of times the choreography is is set and it gets recreated for.
1: 10s and 20s and hundreds of years
0: and so this ballet that you're talking about is not that is it
1: no it's brand new it's a contemporary ballet so i don't a lot of people when they think ballet they think about sort of fairy tale or romantic ballet and they do the same stories that we know like romeo and juliet heard of it yeah have you i have um and they do and and other things too um they do these stories everyone knows the nutcracker Mm -hmm. right but they have princes and princesses and it has a lot of. Gender assigning behavior and dance and expectations and things that I kind of think are antiquated and like don't, that they don't need to be there for storytelling and ballet anymore. So, um, so I do mostly work in like a contemporary sort of way of, um, devising work that is about the now and about sort of the self.
0: I mean, I feel like that's, that's the perfect thing for someone who maybe, has been intimidated about the idea of going to see a ballet. Right. You know, sometimes they're, you know, going to see an opera feels like something that is inaccessible or is, you know, something for, you know, you have to be in a tuxedo to go see. Oh it's, yeah. No, it's no, not a, no, no,
1: no, no. And so this
0: is new work for new audiences. Yes.
1: And like, and, and no one's in a tutu, right. And no one is being saved by a prince and nobody is under a spell and no one is going to get murdered. You know, all these things that I like. These are things I think the of standard I, ballet. Yeah, a lot of ways. Ellipsis is about humanity and about relationships that we have with other people. And it's exciting. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. It's athletic. It's uh, 30 minutes nonstop dancing wow. um, with one dancer who never leaves the stage. And She mm-hmm. is incredible. So definitely come see us at the State Theater.
0: So, we're going to check out April 30th at the State Theater. We'll keep our eyes peeled for it. There's a matinee and an
1: evening performance, both.
0: Fabulous. Can't wait to see that, Tucker.
1: So, where were we before I shamelessly plugged myself?
0: Well, you were talking about getting into your choreography and and teaching.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So, moving to Ithaca, actually, um, I had run a dance company and choreographed there in New York City uh, under uh, uh, one of my mentors. Um, So, I had experience with storytelling through dance but really didn't develop myself as a choreographer until moving here. And I have been so fortunate. I worked at the Hangar Theater. I've worked at the Kitchen Theater. um, And I've done most of my work, actually, in Ithaca at R2P, which I find to be sometimes definitely the most challenging and also the most rewarding Hmm. Um, because you're teaching at the same time as creating, um, at the same time as uh, like helping cultivate young humans that are respectful towards other humans. Um, and so, and it's helped me become a better storyteller when I have the opportunity to work with professionals Mm. because you keep it simple. You know, you don't have to be elaborate. You don't have to be, you don't have to have the tricks and the whistles and the, this and the, that you just have to tell a story and have a clear beginning, middle and end and give an audience a reason
0: to care. Can you talk about the balance between knowing what you want it to look like and pre-planning so that you've got a plan because there's a limited number of rehearsal hours and a lot of bodies to coordinate versus devising things in the moment based on what's happening and actor contributions? And I always
1: things. go in with a plan just so it can be shattered. Ah. And that's really is. That's totally it. Like, even when I think I have a plan, it's going to get shattered. But, but that's part of the plan. Running to places, top me how to do that a lot because prior to running to places, I only worked with professionals. I had only ever worked with professional dancers.
0: People who had 20 years of training. Yep.
1: yep. Crazy for You was was an interesting show because I didn't I set the bar really, really, really high and I refused to back down off of it and it taught me that that's dangerous and also that it's possible. Mm -hmm. So I try to meet somewhere in the middle of that. Because you're working with people, not only you're working with people who who might not know or might not be trained to dance, you're also working against a stigma oftentimes with people who think that they cannot dance. Mm. So that is like half of the job with R2P is empowering this person to believe that they can tell a story through dance, to believe that they have the capability to move with their bodies in a way that's enjoyable for other people to watch. Because a lot of people just think that you need endless endless amounts of training to do that. When in fact, when I work with professional dancers, a lot of the work that I do is to break down to technical undo, barriers. You don't
0: have to have your toe pointed like that.
1: Right. You have to work against people believing that they can't dance, or that they shouldn't dance, or that they're unwilling to even try to dance. And as anything, when you're acting or singing or dancing on stage, you have to be a little bit willing to make a total fool of yourself to be able to get the process done. And the same thing with professionals I oftentimes have to do is I have to disarm them from their technique and from especially ballet dancers. There's this one way to do it. When reality is it's like, "Mm, our bodies are all created so differently that there has to be a million ways to do it. We just have to find the way for you to do it or the way for us to do it together. Teaching people to believe in themselves is half half of the battle and R2P has done a lot of helping me do that. in fact, I think it's honestly why I, and I do think I'm a great choreographer, but it's why I think I'm good at what I do is because I can take a 12 year old who doesn't think that they have the right or the permission to dance on stage and tell a story. And we can totally turn that narrative around and I will ask you to work hard and I will ask you to go beyond your comfort level and I will ask you to take a risk but I also promise that on the under end of it, you're gonna be happy you did. You know? Sometimes that's a little bit of a struggle. Sometimes they resist. I can't, I can't. I hear that a lot. But you can.
0: Well, Tucker, thank you so much for sharing that. I I I feel so lucky that I get to work with you and see you put those ideas into practice and that I get to partner with you. And I know that my work has been made Better by your collaboration.
1: We also laugh a lot. A lot. We laugh so much in rehearsals with the students and also like by ourselves getting ready to tell these stories. Um, there's so much laughter in our work and I really enjoy that. I don't even know why I'm talking about it. I just love RGB so much.
0: Well, Tucker, thank you for being our guest today, in addition to being co host. Mm-hmm. Next time. We're going to be talking to
1: Joey. I don't know if it's next time, but we do need to interview Joey because I have so many questions. (laughs) Burning questions. So many.
0: Why? Why? That's the first and second question. That's all of them. Uh, Well, Tucker, I hope you'll come back next week. (laughs) I'll be here. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, that's it for this edition of the R2P Podcast. <laughs> Drop us a line at podcast at runningtoplaces.org if you have listener questions or with whatever else is on your mind. On behalf of Tucker and me and the rest of the R2P family, thank you for joining us. And thank you to Tompkins Trust Company and our R2 patrons who support us and make all things R2P totally free for everybody. I'm Joey Steenhagen. And sin